Welcome to Blitzcast, an NFL Draft podcast brought to you by NFLDraftBlitz.com. And now, your hosts, Alex Kavtov and Ed Hunt. Welcome back to another episode of Blitzcast. This is your host. As always, I'm joined by my Kentucky boy, Angelo Carriero. How you doing today, my friend? Oh, I'm doing well, and it's going to be even better by the end of this. Oh, dude, I I don't know. I don't know if you're going to be saying that at the end. But before we get into that, Angelo, we've been doing our 2023 scouting. Last week, I actually was able to present my top five centers. It wasn't a concrete top five, but I'll tell you guys right now, they are unbelievably talented. So if you guys wanted to go check out our first show covering that 2023 draft, that's already been posted, and like I said, I went over the top five centers, and you guys, it was fun. I think you guys would really enjoy it. And then this upcoming week, Angelo is going to be taking over, taking us over his top five defensive tackles. So I'm really excited to get into that. I am so happy that it's already the 2023 draft. I'm excited, too. It's, it's, it's the most fun that you can have before the college football season, identifying these players and then putting them on your board. I'm especially with my defensive tackles. It's it really does seem like 2023 is going to be a special special NFL draft class. Oh, absolutely. And Angelo, speaking of special draft classes, today we have one of those on our hands with a 2010 NFL redraft. And for those that have been tuning in, you know that this this is a tied series. We're 2-2 right now. This is the final NFL redraft that we are going to have this summer. And like I said, it's going to be two of 2010. It's going to be the tiebreaker. So whoever wins this one, Angelo, goes home with all the marbles. I, I'm really excited to see how this one plays out, man. I've been going through my strategy, and it's going to be a unique one. It's going to be different. I'll say that. It is going to be. I've even changed my strategy as we've been speaking. I will <laughs> say this. I It's been very fitting. Brendan has won 2011, which I I deep, deeply, deeply regret. And he's won 2016. He's younger. While I've won 2004 and 2007, I am a little older. Remember those drafts and all of that. So, and I grew up with that as during my football sphere. So now we are going to have the tiebreaker with 2010. And Brendan gets the first overall pick in this draft. I have a feeling where he's going, but he may surprise me. He is very confident in his strategy. So I am... I am waiting with bated breath to see what direction he goes. <laughs> All right, you guys. Well, before I make this first selection, I just want to say this is deep at pretty much every position with the exception of the one I'm about to draft. And Angelo, just like in the 2010 NFL draft with the first overall pick, I'm going with Sam Bradford. Oh, my gosh. You know, I know, I know. It was not a pick I wanted to make, but it's a pick I think I can afford to make right now because how deep it is across the board. And if you look at the guys, like there's nobody that has had nearly, nearly as an accomplished career as Sam Bradford. Now, he's never been a star-studded quarterback, you know what I mean, but he was the Offensive Rookie of the Year in 2012, and in that that magical 2016 season, he led the NFL in completion percentages as well, and he also made that all-rookie team. Like I said, not a super accomplished guy, but he is like barely, barely under 20,000 passing yards. I don't think there's another guy on this list that has like over 5,000. So 
Yes, Sam Bradford, not even, I mean, I don't even know if he's a top 12, top 15 player in this draft, Angelo, but for being the best quarterback available, I think I could surround him with the talent to elevate his game. I mean, that 2016 season, he completed 71.6% of his passes, and the season after that, 74.4. So both those seasons were just about 300 yards under 4,000 with a solid touchdown interception ratio. Never has been elite. The best of the best Sam Bradford we've gotten has been above average. And honestly, I think he's the only guy that's had an average to above average career at a quarterback. Well, to be fair, the season after that you are speaking about is a season where he only played two games. So now he has started every game he's played in, which has been very cool. Sam Bradford, I'm glad that – look, I was about to take him. That's where I changed my strategy. So that was a good job (laughs) by you. But there are flaws. Now, he has 103 touchdowns to 61 interceptions, career 34-48-1. People don't remember this very well about Sam Bradford, but Sam Bradford, you know how people talk about Sam Darnold? Like scouts, like how Mm -hmm. scouts viewed Sam Darnold. Scouts Mm -hmm. were in love with Sam Darnold, and Sam Bradford was even more loved. Sam Bradford got traded for a first-round pick at least – once he to Minnesota and then he got traded for a second and something else to Philadelphia. Sam Bradford was a highly coveted quarterback for a very long time. Scouts, when he came out, loved him. They wanted to come out the year before. And then of course he hurt his shoulder, but still went as, as the number one pick. I know that his career didn't end up and he's a very different guy viewed now than he was then. But Sam Bradford was viewed as one of the most accurate passers to ever come out of college. When he came out, he was a pinpoint accuracy type of quarterback, led Oklahoma to a national championship game and a loss against Florida. He he was a very decorated guy, a very talented guy. So I don't know if I agree with it. I do know that the depth of the position uh, takes a significant drop off. But thankfully for me, I can target the rest of my team to make it better. Uh, in surrounding for my quarterback, but I have to say that was a that that is a gutsy but somewhat necessary choice for you to make at the top. Yeah, it's definitely not one that I was expecting to, or not one that I even really wanted to. If I'm being completely honest, Angelo, I really, really wanted you to have the number one overall pick in this draft because I feel like from that first overall pick, I have decided what's going to happen now, and I I don't know if I'm in love with that, but. I am happy that you I regret your pick Sam already, Bolin. Starting off strong. That's I, starting off strong. Good job. I, I'm good. I'm, well, no, I'm good. I, I I think I get why you said that because I was actually changed my strategy at the beginning of this intro where I was going to take Bradford with one of my two. But now that I don't have to, I can just have a supercharged team. And the first player to help me with that is Antonio Brown. Antonio Brown. He kind of speaks for himself. Yes. Uh, by the way, I think he's a birthday twin with you, July 10th. Yes, sir. Antonio Brown, your birthday twin. Can't believe you didn't take him. Look, we all know about Antonio Brown's faults, but it would be it would be remiss of us to not say he's one of the fifteen greatest receivers to ever live. He's a seven time Pro Bowler, a four time All Pro, sneaky Super Bowl champion in his first year in Pittsburgh. He was the Offensive Player of the Year, according to, uh, I think, the Sporting News in 2017. 2010's Hall of Fame team led the league in yards twice, catches twice, touchdowns once, yards per game once. He was third in Offensive Player of the Year, second second, according to the Associated Press. I mean, his span from 2013 to 2018, 
you will rarely find a prime as elite as Antonio Brown did during that time frame. And really a shame. Everybody talks about how great Mike Tallman is as a coach, but to have Roethlisberger, prime Le'Veon uh, Bell, and Antonio Brown in his absolute apex and not come away with overly more than a couple playoff wins is pretty sad. Now that's just a, that's just a little slight shot across the bow to Tomlin. But <laughs> I don't think I thought that Antonio Brown was the obvious number one pick in this draft. So just to get him at number two, I'm pretty happy. No, I mean if if I didn't if the quarterback position wasn't as ugly as it was, I think Antonio Brown was the obvious far and away number one overall pick. And honestly, I like. I don't, I don't blame you guys for smacking the table calling me crazy for not taking him, but Antonio Brown, you know, I'll say I know that there's opinions between him and Julio, but I think he's the second best receiver I've seen in my lifetime. I really do behind Calvin Johnson. Yes, you can, you, Julio's in the conversation, but I don't think there's a thing that Julio does better than Antonio Brown. Julio just has the size and does everything to an incredibly elite level, but Antonio Brown, being the size he was, a smaller receiver did everything better than everybody. So I agree. Antonio Brown, other than Calvin Johnson, is the best receiver of my lifetime. And I bet you are ecstatic to get him at number two. I am. I am. And I will say that we agree to disagree on Julio and Antonio Brown, but the stats definitely back Antonio Brown. But let's go from one four-time All-Pro pass catcher to another. Why did we do this show? Why did we decide on the 2010 draft? Is be- <laughs> I knew it. It's because our main man, Rob Gronkowski, just retired. I have to pick Rob Gronkowski here. Not only that, I mean, now now my offense is, we're into the scary hours of offensive team building. In his second year, the guy had 90 catches, 1,327 yards, and 17 touchdowns to lead mm. the league. I mean, that's that's like an all-time wide receiver year. And to give that to a tight end like Rob Gronkowski, I mean, look, look, the resume speaks for itself. He made an all pro in 2011, 14, 15 and 2017. He amassed uh, a, a thousand yards, four different times, double digit touchdowns, four different times. He was fifth in offensive player of the year in 2014. He was the comeback player of the year in 2014. And even in the Tampa Bay run as, as, as muted as his peak was during that time, he still managed to pull off uh, 45, 6, 23, and 7, and then 55, 8, 0, 2, and 6. So even when it looked like that he was running with stilts, he was still able to be a super productive <laughs> player. But Rob Gronkowski, it's not only the pass catching. He is arguably the greatest dual threat tight end of all time. I think he might be pretty clearly the best dual threat tight end of all time because he was an elite blocker, a George Kittle level blocker in his prime to go along with just absolutely bonkers receiving numbers. I had to go Rob Gronkowski here and you may have gotten the quarterback, but my offense is already elite just from the picks of those two players. No, absolutely. I mean, if you guys tuned into the show last week, we were talking about how dominant Gronk has was in his career and you know, it's to say that uh, I have to build a phenomenal defense to stop Antonio Brown and Rob Gronkowski is is a little bit of an understatement. And honestly, I you got me a little twisted <laughs> off the bat. I'm good though. You get, I'm not gonna. I'll, I'll, I'm not even gonna lie to you, Angela. people. People, I'm not even. Gonna- uh, for you listening, I just want to explain. Before we came on to record, Brendan said in very confidently that his strategy <laughs> was set to the point where I kind of got a little shaken myself 
So for him to lead off with Bradford, tail off at the end of that, me get two Hall of Fame 2010s team players, two four-time first-team All-Pro pass catchers, two future NFL first-ballot Hall of Famers. Well, we'll see with Antonio. But uh, it's just unbelievable that now Brendan, with his own strategy, having the first pick, and me taking the obvious next two, that he would be over here shook like Mob Deep said about people in 96, man. (laughs) Oh gosh, I love it. I mean, honestly, at th- at this point, I'm just I'm just gonna. There's too much talent, so I'm gonna take some of the best names available to me. And I think for how I want to build my defense, I need to have the guy at the at the anchor in the middle. Give me one of the best nose tackle prospects ever, and that's Indomitkasu. I know that there's still talent at this position, but like I said, I mean, there's depth everywhere, and I feel like I can kind of just afford to take the best in some of my favorite players. So I'm taking a Super Bowl champion, the defensive rookie of the year. So now I have the offensive and defensive rookie of the year. I mean, no Antonio Brown and Gronk, but <laughs> he was a three-time first-team All-Pro, second time, two-time second-team All-Pro, five-time Pro Bowler, and made the NFL 2010's All-Decade team, as well as that All-Rookie team. So... Say what you want about Ndamukong We know the type of career and the type of player he was for the longest time. But for any team that is looking for that solid piece that's ready to win a Super Bowl, that needs that dominant run stuffer to plug up that middle, it's Ndamukong When the Rams went that first time, they picked up Ndamukong The Buccaneers just went to the Super Bowl and they needed that position. They picked up Ndamukong and he was dominant for both of them. This is, I know there's still another really good tackle left, but I think Indominus was definitely the best and had the best prime out of them. And so I have to get me that anchor at the position and get me one, uh, one of the more accomplished players left. When I was growing up, even now, I'm, I am a semi-Nebraska fan. They're my second favorite team behind Kentucky, of course. Mm. But in my lifetime, there's not been a defensive tackle that's come close to Indominus as a prospect coming out of college. Quinn and Williams had a lot of the same traits, just not at the extreme peak that Ndamukong Sue had. Ndamukong Sue is arguably the greatest defensive tackle in the history of college football. He is that special. People forget how special Ndamukong Sue is. He has started in all 191 games he's played at a position that typically (laughs) gets injured. Think about this. He missed two games his second year, he has started every single game elsewise. He has started 16 from 2010, missed two in 2011. From 2012 to 2020, he played in all 16 games every year and then played in all 17 last year and started all 17 last year in Tampa Bay. He has 70 and a half career sacks. And honestly, I always thought, and I will go to my grave saying this, In the NFC Championship game in the Super Bowl in 2018 with Los Angeles, he was better than Aaron Donald in both of those games. He was. If you go back and you look at the Saints game and then the Patriots game, Ndamukong Su was the better defensive tackle in both of those games because he is that good. I wanted Ndamukong Su. I wanted him bad. You were smart to pick him up. Ndamukong Su is the most underrated great player that we have had over the last decade. And that is the way that I feel about Ndamukong soon. And I think that a lot of the statistics and the accolades back that up for what he's viewed as. 
Oh, absolutely. I don't disagree with y'all at all. And I, I, I've heard how you've talked about Indominus Sue as a prospect. I, you got real excited when you were chirping about him. So I was like, I have a, I got a slight inclination that Angelo's got his eye on him. So I got to make sure that he doesn't get everybody he wants. Well, I, I will say that the next guy I was going to take before the, the draft got thrown out, I was going to take him third. So I'm glad to get him here. And I take Trent Williams. That's the direction I was debating on going. I like it. So Trent Williams, you would think that he would have more accolades for the way he's viewed as, but let's not get it twisted. Uh, Ndamukong Sue was a Hall of Fame. I have bold players in my in my draft log, like guys that I have to get at the top because they were that elite. They're future first ballot Hall of Fame level guys. There are a lot of people that would say Trent Williams is better than Tyron Smith. That Trent Williams is the offensive tackle of our generation or my generation, however you want to call it. Obviously I'm a Tyron Smith game, but we're talking about a guy that has been given the injury label, but has started a ton of games. Let's not, let's not get it twisted. He's a nine time pro bowler. He just made it 33, an AP first team, all pro in which if you watch that Rams game and in that playoffs, Trent Williams was arguably the best player on the field. Because he's so strong and so athletic and he keeps getting better with age. He was a second team all pro in 2015. But essentially from his third year and on, he has been an elite tackle in this game. I think that especially the way you're uh, seeing him now in a big L line, this this is me older and smarter. This is me at my best. Like this is just... Trent Williams could go on at 35, 36, 37 like Jason Peters and have multiple first-team All-Pros going through. So this is this is a pick that could even look better going back in a year uh, or going forward a year or two. But I, I think that locking down Trent Williams. So now I have an inline, the, the greatest inline blocking tight end that could also catch of all time in Gronk. And now pairing him with Trent Williams, now I have a side to run to on top of having an elite pass blocker for whatever quarterback I choose. I really like the way that my offense is shaping up. You know, Angela, I wish I could say I like how your offense is shaping up, but um, I can't because it is, it's quite terrifying. It's a fantastic pick. I mean, Angelo, there was not a better football player last. I mean, yeah, Cooper Cup had the incredible triple crown, but there was an argument to be made that Trent Williams was the best football player in the world last year. I, I really believe that he, and I'm not huge on PFF, but he was like not even a full uh, two points away from having a 100 overall grade. That has never happened. I think he received the highest grade in the history of PFF, but the entire season, just because we know how the love for offensive linemen gets neglected, you guys need to go see how dominant he was. And Angelo's talking about how he late on in his career, finally got the All-Pro and has just turned into the dominance. Last season was truly one of the most impressive football seasons I've watched for a player, period. 2021 Trent Williams, dog. And Angelo, you got yourself far and away the best offensive lineman in this class. Yeah, he... And I, I he, agree with you. Go ahead. You agree with me, how? You said that, that the, the decorations or the accolades might not speak for what he's accomplished. I mean... Like you said, people really do view this guy as potentially the other Tyron Smith or perhaps above Tyron mm-hmm. Smith. The The lack of all pros he's gotten is kind of absurd, but I feel like you and I both very, very understand how valuable he is. A lot of that, too, was because Tyron Smith was was at his absolute peak at the same time Joe Thomas existed. So it's, it's hard mm-hmm. 
at that time to get that first team all pro nods. But I mean, especially last year, his his special trait is his athleticism, is his size. And you saw last year how many times he pulled or was played at fullback with the 49ers. I mean, this guy could rack up two or three more first team all pros by the end and go down as one of the most decorated tackles ever. Like, I mean, it's just it's just insane how good Trent Williams is, and I'm very, very happy to get him here. I arguably got the top three players on my board. No, oh, and Angelo, I you've killed it from the top. I'll give credit when credit is due. But I'm going to take a player that had maybe a, a shorter career, but I think in the time his career played out, he was one of the most dominant at the position, was kind of a little bit overshined because he had that duo that you and I were talking about, I think it was last week. I think I'm going to take Navarro Bowman. I am very, very terrified of your offense. I'm very scared of everything that you have coming for me. So I'm going to I'm gonna take, in my opinion, the best middle linebacker available. In the set, I believe he only played at seven years in the NFL, but in those seven years, he was a four-time first-team All-Pro, three-time Pro Bowler, and won the Butkus Award. Just under eight, 800 tackles and 14 sacks. Wasn't necessarily the biggest blitzer, but nine forced fumbles and six fumble recoveries. There was a point in time where Navarro Bowman and Patrick Willis were the most feared men in the National Football League. I re- like They made up one of the best linebacking duos in the history of existence, mm-hmm. and I really think it's going to go down. Like they, Till the end of time, they will always be talked about as one of the best linebacker duos of all time, and Navarro Bowman, kind of being the lesser name of that, still three, four-time first-team All-Pro. I mean, that's disgusting. In a seven-year career, over half of your career, first-team All-Pro. And I, I, don't get me twisted. Like, there's still very good linebackers available, but at their peak, there was nobody on Navarro Bowman's level. The thing about Navarro Bowman, too, coming out of college is he dropped in the draft. There's some guys like Justin Houston, some guys that just drop because of injuries off the field, whatever it is. Navarro Bowman was viewed as a pretty special player coming out even dropping to the end of the third round it's if he didn't think about it this way he tore his ACL and MCL which for a defensive player is kind of a death sentence and he came back the next year and made first team all pro and led the league in tackles I don't know I gotta look at this comeback player of the year list for that year because how he wasn't first I can't it was oh okay it was another player in this draft Carson Palmer Adrian Peterson a couple guys but Navarro Bowman I mean, there was a case that if he would have stayed healthy, he would have been better than Patrick Willis, and I don't let those words go out of my mouth gently at all. Like, I do not just let those fly. But he was on a trajectory to be one of the greatest inside linebackers of all time. That's where he was. Only three players in this class had four-time first-team All-Pro nods. It was Antonio Brown, Rob Gronkowski, and Navarro Bowman to show you how special Sorry, and to add more, let's not forget, like, those guys' careers were, you know, almost twice as long. I mean, they've been playing in the NFL for, like, five-plus years longer than this guy. So for him to accomplish what he did in that span is unbelievable. It's pretty sick. It's pretty sick. I think that's a good pick uh, because of uh, because of his height because or because of the, the peak that he had, the special player that he was. Mm-hmm. Um, but I am ready for my next pick. Are you ready? Uh, I, I can't say yes, but I, I can't. I also can't stop the uh, fate from happening. You cannot stop the fate from happening. So I'm going to have a bad quarterback. That's just a fact. And they say uh, that the tight end is a quarterback's best friend. So why not just get two of them? 
I'm going to take Jimmy Graham. You are, you know, Angelo, respectfully, you've just shot your way up on my top five least favorite person list. <laughs> Did you say you hated me after I no, I, I didn't say I hate you. No, my You're goodness. You're on my top five least favorite person list now. That's for dang sure. That's, so let's go ahead and break down Jimmy Graham. Not only has he had a, a very long career that he has been able to parlay what, at the time, such a raw prospect coming out of college. I hope you enjoy this whole thing, by the way. A raw prospect coming out of college where he was a basketball player and just decided to play football. I think it might have been his last, let's see, I think it was his last two years, but it might have just been that single. Yeah, it was just in 2009. He only had 17 catches, 213 yards, and five touchdowns in college, but that did not preclude the Saints from taking him in the third round, and boy, did it pay off. In his second year, he had 99 catches, 1,310 yards, and 11 touchdowns, and then two years later, he followed it up with 86 12, 15, and 16 touchdowns, which led the league, giving him a first-team all-AP nod at the tight end position. He had two more years of double-digit touchdowns between New Orleans and Seattle, went over to Green Bay, had honestly finally buried my demons of Seattle, where he had three. I hated the contract at the time, but he paid for his entire contract in that game where he had three of the most clutch first down catches of any player I can remember and helped get Green Bay into that NFC Championship game. But I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about the fit on my team because Jimmy Graham and Rob Gronkowski being able to be lined up all over the field, Jimmy Graham going into the slot as a complete mismatch for anybody that he goes against, including Navarro Bowman, who you just took, being able to have the only guy during his prime to challenge Rob Gronkowski for the throne as best tight end in the league, to have Gronk and Jimmy Graham and Antonio Brown on this offensive arsenal with Trent Williams protecting the blind side and pulling blocking... I. I have to stop for a second. I'm shuddering with just glee on this one. What do you think about the pick, Brendan? I, I, you know, in my humble opinion, I think it was just awful. You couldn't have made a worse pick, gone in a worse direction. Now, Angelo, you want the trophy already, bud? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> but no, seriously, uh, you, you've, I'm very impressed with what you've done so far. And I mean, honestly, at one point in time, Jimmy Graham was one of, if not the most dominant offensive weapon for a couple years. I mean, he was the first player that I really think started this transition into what tight ends are today. Like, he was that first one that was really a mold of today's tight end, you know? And there was a point in time where he was like, hey, I'm basically a wide receiver. I'm putting up wide receiver one numbers. Pay me as oh, a yeah, wide receiver. Oh, yeah, they had the franchise and- tag thing over that. Yep. And, it, you know, he wasn't wrong. He wasn't wrong. And, you know, I think after that it was the Seattle stint and he wasn't nearly as dominant in Seattle, but still a fantastic player. And Angelo, I mean, it's I'm very upset with you, to say the least. It was a fantastic pick. It was uh, there's there is a significant drop off in talent after Jimmy Graham. Well, I, I just had to do – you did me a solid at taking Sam Bradford at the top, <laughs> so why couldn't I repay, repay you? So I'm, I'm really interested to see hey. what you do with the rest of this. Good luck. You have two of the best tight ends I've witnessed in my lifetime, so I have to get a tight end killer. I have to get one of the hardest-hitting players I've ever seen in my life. I have to get one of the leaders of one of the best defenses in the history of the world. Give me Bam Bam Cam Chancellor. 
I have to stop your tight ends. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. And getting a 6-3 absolute missile at my safety is how I'm going to do that. Super Bowl champion, like I said, was one of the leaders of that Legion of Boom, one of the most respected and impressive defenses to ever grace the gridiron. Two-time second-team All-Pro and a four-time Pro Bowler. Now, his, his, unfortunately, I think we can all uh, remember that his career was cut a little bit short. He retired early that same year as Peyton Manning, the time Marshawn first retired, and he was still playing at an incredibly high level. Yeah, it was maybe kind of a little bit of a, a dip from when that Legion of Boom was in their prime, but Cam Chancellor was truly like the dog of that team. He was the... Like, he wasn't barking as much as, you know, Richard Sherman and Earl Thomas, but he was going to just make you not want to play football anymore. And I don't think that there's anybody else in this draft that's going to be remotely close to being able to stop these tight ends nearly as well as Cam Chancellor is. I think there's one other player I may be targeting that can do so, but even then, there's no, there's no other safety that compares to the sheer physicality aspect of Cam Chancellor. No, and honestly, Cam Chancellor, two-time second-team All-Pro, four-time Pro Bowler, he was the enforcer on that Legion of Boom. He's, after his rookie year, he started every game that he that he played in in his career. Of course, like you said, towards the end, the injuries just started mounting up. I love the pick for two different reasons. Number one, because Cam Chancellor does line up so well against these tight ends. And if you want to stop whatever offense this could be, you're going to have to have someone like Cam Chancellor to prevent them from success. But I also love it because I got you shook. And I got you shook, <laughs> and you did not take the best sa- – you didn't even take the best safety from the team that drafted him in this draft class. And that man is my next pick, and that's Earl Thomas, the king of no-fly zone. Oh, this safety class, by the way, is so incredibly deep that you could have just waited on safeties and got two elite starters. That's how good this safety class is. But the man that reigns king over the oh, entire thing is God. Earl Thomas. A lot of people. Dude. Go ahead. Go ahead. I want you to give me my adulation. Go ahead. I have every safety on my board except for Earl Thomas, the Oh my God! I get. I don't deserve to win this one, Angelo. I don't deserve it. People I don't deserve shut, it. People could shut off the podcast right now. It's lights. In the words of Wiz Khalifa, it's lights out. Game over, baby. I can't believe that you skipped out on a man that was a three-time first-team All-Pro, two-time second-team All-Pro, seven-time Pro Bowler, Super Bowl champion, 2010 Hall of Fame team, and for the football nerds. Like you and I, a lot of people, of course, will give Richard Sherman all the glory from that Legion of Boom, but everybody that's anybody says that if it wasn't for Earl Thomas's ability to play that cover scheme in the back and that cover three to patrol the field like the best since Ed Reed and Earl Thomas, that that defense would not be the same. And it proved all up into 2013 where he was third and defensive player of the year that year. Only Keekley and Robert Mathis were ahead of him. But yeah, man, I how you left him off, I don't know, nor do I care. I get the man that was truly the keystone of the Legion of Boom, and he will be leading my secondary. There is no over-exaggeration when you say 
there is nobody that is able to cover that single high and just watch the entire field play sideline to sideline coverage like Earl Thomas since Ed Reed. And that's I, that's why the Ravens went and got him after that stint with Seattle. I mean, they tried to recreate that, and he was still even had a, a few good seasons with the Ravens, but how I missed on him because it's just absurd how deep this safety class is, dude. I mean, I have like five other players on my board where I'm like, oh, I'm more than content starting him. But then you say Earl Thomas. I'm like, you got me. Oh, you got me twisted, man. At this point, I mean, I'm just I'm just going to build my favorite team. I, I don't stand a chance. Well, I'm interested to see where you go because yeah. I am smiling over the success. I mean, Antonio Brown, <laughs> Rob Gronkowski, Jimmy Graham is my receiving core. Trent Williams as my left tackle and Earl Thomas as the back end of my defense. Sam Bradford's good. He's no Earl Thomas good. No, he is He is not no Earl Thomas good. I mean, oh, brother. It's twisted. Oh, yeah. Oh, around. yeah. You're All shaking right. to your absolute core. Imagine you never. Here's the I thing. I don't even know what direction to go I, in. I want, you, I want you to know that. Brendan does not talk crap. He is very he's very much a nice overall guy, never says anything. But before the podcast, like I've said already, he he finally did and said his strategy was infallible. And this is the and results. It, what nine boy picks was in? I wrong? <laughs> I don't think I've ever been more twisted in one of these in my entire life. Well, in I, my entire life. I, I told you from the get-go that I am the dra- I, that I am that I am the guy in this and not to mess with me. And hey, you have a lot to learn from me. I'm here to teach you, Brendan. These are teaching. These are, in, in the words of Andre Chase in NXT 2.0, these are teachable moments. Okay. And this is what we're doing here. So go, <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. All right. Well, I think that your, your offense is going to kill me. Your defense is going to kill me. I want to make sure that I can have at least one strong suit on my defense. And I don't want to make that my front seven. So I think I'm going to go with. Jason Pierre-Paul, two-time Super Bowl champion, first-team All-Pro in 2011, and a three-time Pro Bowler. That was in 2011, 2012, and then had an eight-year gap and then made the Pro Bowl once again in 2020. Uh, 603 career tackles, and he is one of the few people that are just a, uh, he's under 10 sacks away from joining that 100-sack club. Not many people you know, in the NFL left in that range, and I think he could join that club before his career's said and done, but... Other than that, I mean, I this is probably my best option at outside linebacker slash, you know, defensive end. Angelo, you know, I, I just, I like I said, I have to make one strong point on my team. And I think a guy that was a leader of one of the better defenses to win a Super Bowl for that Giants, I, I have to take Jason Pierre-Paul and put him on the outside. Okay. I, I respect that pick. I do think that having a long pass rusher like Jason Pierre-Paul, and by the way, Jason Pierre-Paul coming out, he was viewed as a raw prospect, but everybody always saw the athleticism that he had, and it took him a little while to get going, or he had that gap in his career. Like I know the fireworks incident is always what he'll be known most mm-hmm. for, but he is an extremely special player. I remember that they said something that he could do a backflip or like a backflip in a pool, one of the two, but he, he could do a backflip at the combine, and a lot of people were like, wow, this big defensive end could do a backflip. He was really the rage going into the 2010 draft. Jason Pierre-Paul. Absolutely. And I I think I know what you're talking about. And I, if there was another video that came out showing off his athleticism where, you know, there was a while where athletes were like jumping out of pools onto Mm -hmm. the, like, Mm -hmm. like, yeah. And I think he was uh, partaking in that and had a video come out where he did that as well. 
freak athlete. My next pick missed one season, and that was the only year that he did not make a Pro Bowl, All-Pro, or, or All-Pro team. Not many times, and I think Joe Thomas is the only other one, AFC North represent, that an offensive lineman got votes for Rookie of the Year. This player was third in Rookie of the Year. He made three second-team All-Pros, two first-team All-Pros, and nine Pro Bowls on his way to being a Hall of Fame 2010s team player as Marquise Pouncey. In this center position, boy, is this center position bad in this class. It is bad, bad. So I wanted to make sure that not only did I get the best center available, but I got a Hall of Fame level center on my team, and that is Marquise Pouncey. And really, I don't have anything else to say about it, except for the year that he missed because of injury. He made the Pro Bowl from the first year he played to the year that he retired. He started all 134 games, and boy, do I feel good about him manning my center. I'm going to be able to pull. I'm going to be able to. I'm going to be able to do anything that I want for whatever I want to do in the run game, in the pass game. I'm set. I am just. If you have Nadamakan Sue in that middle, well, Marquise Pouncey says hello at six four, three hundred and four pounds. I am very, very happy with this selection. Oh, Angela, I bet you are. I mean, far and away, one of the most dominant centers of my lifetime. And you are completely correct when you say that there's a big drop-off. I just, like, you have me pinned in so many different positions right now, and you, you don't even know it. You don't even know how twisted you have me right now, Angelo, but we're going to come out swinging still. For my next pick, I got to beef up my secondary, and... Uh, you know, I, I've already missed out on the best safety available, so I'm, I just, I'm going to get one of my favorite players ever growing up, and a player that has one of the best stories ever. It's a heartbreaking story, but the return that he made is Eric Berry, one of the, in his prime, one of the most dominant safeties I was able to watch, and he was the comeback player of the year in 2015, three-time first-team All-Pro in 2013, 15, and 16, five-time Pro Bowler, and made that 2010 All-Decade team as well as that All-Rookie team. For somebody to go through what he did, to go through chemotherapy and come back, you know, it, it, the career wasn't nearly as long after that. It was a, a short return, short-lived return, but for, for him to go through that and step back onto the field just shows how much of a dog he is. Like, he is a fighter, and he was one of the scariest people to throw at. I mean, I remember watching him when, you know, Denver was really good. Peyton Manning was scared to throw towards him. Like, he was that dominant for a very, very large portion of time. He was considered one of the top safeties in the league. Like, I wouldn't say nearly the coverage level of Earl Thomas, but he was in the conversations of those types of guys. And Eric Berry is somebody that I've always had an incredible, incredible amount of respect for. And I think there's one other safety you could make an argument for taking at this position, but uh, the... The respect I have for Eric Berry will not allow me to pass up on him. Eric Berry, as much as Ndamukong Sue is arguably the greatest defensive tackle in college football history, Eric Berry's first two years especially, he was viewed as the best safety prospect to come through in our lifetime, in my lifetime. Uh, Eric Berry in his first two years at Tennessee had 12 interceptions for 474 return yards and three touchdowns. <laughs> he averaged... 42 yards and interception his freshman year on five of them and 38 yards on seven of them. He is the greatest interception returner in college football history. He went fifth overall for a reason. This guy was the man coming out. He was one of my, I'm like Kentucky and Tennessee have a, have a terrible rivalry in terms of how much they hate each other. 
Eric Berry is one of my favorite players. The dude's nickname's the fifth dimension. That's that's just unbelievable. I had always underrated Eric Berry because when he didn't start off, by the way, start off his rookie year, four interceptions, 102 yards, and a touchdown. And then and then his first all-pro year, three interceptions, 134 yards, and two touchdowns. Like he is the greatest interception returner in history. In history. I will go down saying that. But I underrated him because of that when his career kind of fell off. But to back in that in 2015 and 16 with first-team All-Pros, I mean, I, I, I just love Eric Berry. I'm very happy for him. He is a first-ballot college football Hall of Famer. He may make the NFL Hall of Fame one day. I mean, three first-team All-Pros along with the with the chemotherapy comeback, I, I, I think he'll have a place in Canton. He deserves it. He is one of the greatest pound-for-pound football players to ever live. Oh, absolutely. And uh, he, he pulled off one of the most unique plays you'll ever see. Uh, he p- pulled off the only pick two to win a football game in That's NFL right, history. That's a did. cool was little that fun fact. Yeah. It sure was. Classic Falcons moment. That's yep, it crazy. Sure was. <laughs> That's awesome, though. That's awesome. No, I, I love it. But all right. Well, I have not built any of my offensive line yet. So I think I hold have on. To hold on. That, is it not man. my pick? Oh, yeah, it is. It totally. Oh, well, I just told you where I'm going next. Brendan, uh, I'm struggling today. I Angelo. have melted your brain. You can't. This. You know what this is exactly like. Your Denver. Remember what? what I told you. Remember what I told you. I said you're Denver and I'm Seattle, and this is the 2013 Super Bowl. <laughs> I predicted this. I, we will post the text message with this. Tell oh. me I did not say that, and tell me this is not the exact same thing. He did. I mean, me taking Sam Bradford was the snap over my head on the first play of the game, you guys. That's exactly what it and was. And I have been throttling you ever since to the point you don't know who's up. It, this is amazing. I am so happy right now. This could taking not have gone. I, I called my shot, Brendan. Uh, I thought you were going to pick another secondary player, so I'll take him now. I'm taking Joe Hayden. Mm-hmm. Joe Hayden is by far the best corner in this class. Like, mm. it's it's not really close, there are a couple of guys. There's one guy that has a uh, that has some accolades, but when it comes down to it, Joe Hayden easily the best. He was the first corner taken in his draft class. He was a second time, uh, or excuse me, a, a second team All Pro player in Cleveland in 2013. He made a Pro Bowl in 2014 and another one with Pittsburgh in 2019, which I bet you've hated to see Joe Hayden thrive in Pittsburgh. <laughs> that must hurt you because it would hurt me. Oh yeah. It's like Dur- Darrell Revis going to the Pats for Jets fans. Oof. In yeah. that vein. He was really good coming out of college. He was kind of he wasn't an elite corner prospect, but he was easily the best in this class and, and it and it bore true. He started 148 of 158 games and the only games he never started were just in his rookie year and then once in Pittsburgh this last year. But Joe Hayden, it seemed it was weird. He got a huge contract. He was viewed as the future of the corner position. Kind of kind of went sideways at Cleveland, was let go for really nothing, and signed with Pittsburgh for really nothing. And he just kind of revitalized his career in Pittsburgh to become a really, really good player. 29 career interceptions. He has 155 career pass deflections. He's just a he was just a really, really good corner for a long time. And being the by far the best corner on the board, I wanted to take that away from you. So good luck guarding Antonio Brown. Uh, yeah, I, I, no luck will be had. It's, it's just going to be a all out demolition on that for my secondary, but it is what I'll just send Cam Chancellor to rock his world a couple of times, but no, uh, Joe Hayden, 
Did you threaten to hurt it. one of my players? Are you are you Greg? Are you are you uh, Greg Williams? Like what's going? Sorry, on? I'm not John. No, no bounty gate here. No bounty gate here. <laughs> but um, no, Joe Hayden loved him in Cleveland. Absolutely torn to see that guy in a Steelers uniform. But there are actually talks about him coming back to Cleveland. Don't know if that's actually going to happen. But for the every year except for that last year on Cleveland, he was absolutely a top ten cornerback in the NFL. Wasn't necessarily dominant, but like Angelo said, just really, really good. And then he actually had one of the worst coverage grades in the league his last year with Cleveland. We uh, he he went over to Pittsburgh and just revitalized his career. And you know, even being up there with his age at cornerback, had it says, had a pretty good couple of seasons the last two years. So. Joe Hayden, like you said, is far and away the best corner, even though there is another corner that has some accolades and stuff. It just, for what we could even reminisce off the top of our head, we everybody knows that Joe Hayden is far and away the best out of this class. So I am, let's see, seven picks in, and I've gotten the number one wide receiver, number one tight end, number one tackle, number one center, number one corner, number one safety, and number two tight end who is arguably the number two pass catcher in the entire draft. That's what I've amassed so far. And I got Sam Bradford, baby. You are just like the Ray. You're <laughs> like every team that ever traded for him. Just was just, why not? I, I believe in this guy. Hey, I'm really excited. Build out your offensive line. Let's see how, let's see how you protect Bradford. I'm going to take Russell Okung. I'm going to take Russell Okung for a guy that's been in the league. As long as he is, he has started 131 out of 131 games, Angelo. And that was back into 2020 when I believe he retired. But uh, he started his career with the Seahawks. And I remember Denver was really excited to get him. He didn't pan out to be necessarily the player they wanted him to be. But when he was with Seattle, he was dominant. And then with the Chargers, he had uh, some dominance with him as well. I mean, he has two Pro Bowlers and two for, uh, and a Super Bowl champion to show for it. But... 131 starts at the tackle position. I mean, to stay healthy that long is incredibly impressive. And I think that there's definitely a huge, huge drop-off with Trent Williams. But if you're talking about a solid tackle that lasted 10 years in the football, it doesn't get more solid than Russell Okung. No, Russell Okung, I remember he was viewed as the top tackle prospect of that draft over Trent Williams. Trent Williams was viewed more as the athletic upside pick, while Okung was viewed as the upside plus longevity. And it's just proven that he was a great pick at the top because even though that he didn't have this all-pro career, he started every game he played in, and he was a very valuable piece. I think he was the first player to ever get cryptocurrency as a payment into his contract, maybe. Or I, I do know that he signed. I, yeah, yeah. Either that, or I, I know he that. signed that deal where it it, it, it was a five year deal. You, the team could get out of it in the first year, but if he played well enough in that first year and they wanted to keep him, it guaranteed the rest of his contract. I do remember that that being a thing. So Russell Okung, I, I, I think that I I was a. I love Trent Williams coming out, but I ended up being an Okun guy as much as I love Trent. So, it, it, but he's a great pick. He was a great pick there. Uh, good tackle class, you know, not great, but good. And Russell Okun was a part of that. Good. All right. Well, I'm 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 glad I finally got a little bit of uh, love for a pick. So thanks, man. That's true. I mean, I loved your Eric Berry pick. It's just <laughs> all that. Uh, I'll take I'll take Gerald McCoy. I'll take Gerald McCoy because he's really really good. He was really, really good for a long time. Uh, Gerald McCoy is one-time first-team All-Pro, twice-second-team All-Pro. In his prime, he made six straight Pro Bowls. 
in Tampa Bay. I remember that it was kind of like the Okung Williams thing where both Oklahoma players, Gerald McCoy and Trip Williams are viewed as more upside. Uh, but Nadama can sue is Nadama can sue. You just can't stop someone like that. But in the games he was, he played in all except last year where he only played one game in Vegas. So if you just scrap that year away, he started 139 of all 139 games, 59 and a half sacks, which is funny. Sue had more, and McCoy was always viewed as the pass rush specialist. <laughs> but just for this value, like a value pick this late in the draft, Gerald McCoy was one of the elite defensive tackles of his day, proven by the all-pro nods in the Pro Bowl. So very happy to take him. In a three-year stretch, he had nine and a half, eight and a half, eight and a half sacks. He really was a terror at that uh, three-tech position. So I'm very glad to put an Angelo jersey on him like I have all the rest of the great players of this draft. Uh, that's a fantastic pick. Absolutely. the th- It's crazy that there was two defensive tackles of this dominance in the same class. I mean, like we were saying, like they're, this like I was hyping this draft up a lot for you, and then when we got on the phone today, you're like, yeah, dude, this is insanely, insanely deep. Somehow you've managed to get all of the best players, you know, but... No, uh, Gerald McCoy was unbelievable. Like for the, for a while, I feel like he was kind of getting even a little bit more respect than Sue because for a long time nobody liked Dominic Sue. Oh yeah, kind of because of the player he was, you know. So he maybe wasn't getting the flowers and the respect he deserved. And G- and Gerald McCoy was kind of a bigger name for a defensive tackle and somebody that everybody wanted to love, and rightfully so. Gerald McCoy was absolutely kind of in that same tier of, you know, best of the best defensive tackles. So you absolutely got yourself probably like probably the best defensive player left, honestly. Well, who are you going with? You know what, dude, this drafts, this drafts a loss for me already. You did it to me last week. I'm not going to let it happen again. And this is one where last week you said, I'm going to go with my heart for my first overall pick. I'm going with my heart for this one, you know. My favorite player of all time, uh, other than Joe Thomas, Demarius Thomas. I need to get myself a wide receiver in. Say what you want. You could say Des Bryant's better. Demarius Thomas was a dog. And today is actually the uh, the one one year since he's retired. And mm-hmm. rest in peace to Demarius Thomas. And um, two, a Super Bowl champion, played in that Super Bowl, uh, in Super Bowl 48, where they got demolished by the uh, Seahawks. But he was a two-time uh, second-team All-Pro and a four-time Pro Bowler. But... For those of you that like really were into football around the 2010s, for a good part uh, portion, it was Calvin Johnson, it was Des Bryant, and it was Demarius Thomas as the top three receivers statistically for like a three-year span, and that's that's a fact. And Demarius Thomas, uh, fun fact, I actually went to his uh, MVP camp back in middle school and then uh, won MVP out of uh, about 350 kids, and I had an opportunity to meet him and you talk to him. You won MVP. And- I did. I did. I'll, I'll send you the picture. Yeah, That's awesome. He he was, and I got a chance to talk to him for a few minutes after. And seriously, one of the greatest people I've ever met. Like he is one of the reasons I have followed my career in football. And I don't. I I'm not making that up. He is one of the most important people in my football journey ever. So I was not leaving this draft without Demarius Thomas, the best receiver in Denver Broncos history, and one of the most underappreciated receivers of the 2010s. That's super cool, man. Not like seriously, it is. I mean, two second team All Pros, four time Pro Bowler, Super Bowl champion. He was, by all accounts, an amazing guy, and he was he was a guy that thought of as a project receiver coming out his first two. You know, his his first year a little slow, second year started building, and then Peyton got there, and Peyton couldn't have done what Peyton did without Demarius Thomas. 
That's the thing that people people will say. Demarius or Peyton Manning Thank made you. Julius Thomas, made Demarius Thomas, made Eric Decker, made it. No, without Demarius Thomas, Peyton Manning is not Peyton Manning. And by the way, part of one of the most iconic plays in NFL history, whether you like it or not, mm-hmm. the Tim Tebow uh, little slant mm-hmm. post route to Demarius Thomas cutting over the middle in overtime to beat the Pittsburgh Steelers is one of the most iconic plays of our time. No, I mean, that was truly a play that made me fall. That was the play that really cemented my love for football. I was watching that at my grandpa's house, and it's like, there's no way this has happened. First play of the game, stiff arm to William Gay, and he's gone. He's gone. I mean, Angel, let me talk about this span real quick. From 2012 to 2000, and even we'll go to 2017, 1,400 receiving yards. 1,400 receiving yards, 1,600 receiving yards, 1,300 receiving yards, 1,000 receiving yards, and just under 950 receiving yards. That's disgusting. He was a true X receiver. It's Antonio Brown-esque with that. With that yeah, it, like, it, it maybe because like when he, you know, he went to the Jets after and the Texans after and just did not have near that career, um, but... It, the back half of his career was a lot slower, but no, absolutely. That peak, his prime, is truly one of the most dominant peaks we saw for a receiver in the 2010s. Well, from one of those receivers to another, I'm taking Des Bryant. As I thought you would. Yep. I was waiting on that. That's the one I kind of waited on, that domino to fall. I was going to be okay with whichever one. I knew you liked Demarius, and I liked Des, so I knew I was going to get one of the two. Either you were going to be unhappy not picking your guy, or I was going to be happy getting my guy. <laughs> I'm taking a guy that honestly didn't have the peak. And like you said, people can say Des is better, but I think that there is a there is an argument. Uh, Des had a first-team All-Pro that Demarius didn't, but Demarius had two second-team All-Pros. And Des did not. The peak, Demarius is better. Now, you could say the three-year peak definitely goes to Des Bryant. From 2012 to 2014, he averaged 91 catches, 1,311 yards, and 14 touchdowns in a three-year peak. The guy was absolutely insane in his prime. Des Bryant also going back to that draft. I think they went back-to-back, if I'm not mistaken. Or maybe it was, I think it was Demarius, they, yeah, Des, I believe they were all in a row that that Mm -hmm. went but Demarius was viewed as the best receiver in that class it was that he did have like off-field stuff that teams were worried about worried about his attitude worried about his commitment but if I'm not mistaken was Des Bryant not a Blitnikoff award winner um I I think he was I mean his sophomore year he had 87 catches for 1,480 yards and 19 touchdowns in college (laughs) he was just he was Justin Blackman before Justin Blackman he was, uh, let's see, it looks like that he was not a Bolitnikov uh, Award winner, to my knowledge. For some reason, I thought he was. That is my mistake. But that was also at the time that, you know, there was like Michael Crabtree and Calvin Johnson. There were so many crazy receivers during mm-hmm. that time. It was just unbelievable, unprecedented time for football. But Des Bryant, in his three-year peak, 92-13-82-12, 93-12-33-13, 88-13-14, 88-13-16, 88-13-17, 88, 13, 20, 16 touchdowns, which led the league and gave him a first-team All-Pro. He was Mr. Consistency during that time. And honestly, Antonio Brown is such an amazing player. I wanted to get a true possession receiver like Des Bryant and one of the best red zone threats, even though he pushed off all the time in the in the, in the the <laughs> end zone. Still one of the best to do it. My receiving core is now Antonio Brown, Rob Gronkowski, Jimmy Graham, and Des Bryant. Tell me which one's the weak link, and I'll wait. 
there, there's, there, uh, I, I can't give you an answer. I mean, if, in all honestly, like you could argue Des is the weak point in there, or Jimmy, or Graham, but there's and not that's, one. but my weak or, point, no offense, crazy. is as strong as your best point. <laughs> oh, absolutely, absolutely, and none taken, Angelo. All right, well, I think I'm gonna, I'm gonna continue to build my offense a little bit, and I'm gonna go with another offensive tackle. It's not Zane Beatles like we were joking about the other day, but um, no, I thought it was gonna be. I'm gonna. I'm going to go with Roger Saffold. Very, very underappreciated, underrated career, I think. Like I, when we talk about tackles that have been just really solid, I mean, Russell Okung even is a very recognizable name to the NFL community, I feel like. But Roger Saff- Saffold is not. Even though, out of 160 games played, he has started 157 of them. He was a second-team All-Pro in 2017 and a Pro Bowler in 2021. Signed with the Bills this offseason, was with the Titans 2019-2021, uh, but for a long time, he was that uh, a concrete piece for the Rams, and I think it's because the Rams had Whitworth on the other side that he never really got that credit that he deserved. But now that he's had an opportunity to kind of be that leader of the of the tackles and stuff, he's getting his credit. He got that Pro Bowl finally. And well, let me, I really let me, think let me try to he, switch this up for you real quick. He made his all-pro second team and Pro Bowler at guard. Are you sure you don't want to put him at guard? Because he only played tackle his first three years in St. Louis. You know what? If you if you would be so kind to let me put him at guard. Well, you have the positional versatility. Remember, I took a guy last yeah. week and didn't tell you where yeah. I was putting him. I think, yeah, yeah, I think it was Jermon Bushrod, okay. maybe. Yeah, it was Jermon. Yeah. All right. So, yeah, I'm going to put Roger Stafford at guard because – yeah. Everything you just said, just apply it to the guard position. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. All right. All right. Am I good to go, or do you want to talk more about? By the way, yeah, no, Roger Saffold is my top ranked guard. Roger Saffold is just—it's just weird. He's one of my favorite linemen, and I have no like I have no real reason why he is. <laughs> he just is. All right. So I see another player slip through the cracks for you. So I'm going to take him here. I'm going to take Geno Atkins. Geno Atkins, uh, even though I took Gerald McCoy first, Geno Atkins is by far more decorated. He is an eight-time Pro Bowler. He is a two-time first-team All-Pro member. He is a second-team All-Pro member. And unlike Gerald McCoy, who I took first, dummy me, uh, he made the 2010 Hall of Fame team at defensive tackle. He was one of the best pass-rushing defensive tackles of his time, 75 and a half sacks, including three different seasons. Three where he had double-digit sacks, and one of them he didn't even make an all-pro team. How wow. despicable. That was in 2018. He had 10, just made the Pro Bowl. While in 2015, 11, 2012, 12 and a half, made first-team all-pro both those years. I am very humbled and thankful that Geno Atkins has fallen this far. And, uh, yeah, I'll take him here, and I am, I am ecstatic. Oh, I bet you are, Angelo. I bet you are. We, we know how this is going to pan out, so I'm going to – I'm going to try to take the, uh, honestly, there's, there's an argument to be made on who the best edge is available. Honestly, I, I do think there's an argument, but in my opinion, I think it's going to be Everson Griffin. Mm-hmm, same. Uh, ev- I think Everson Griffin is the best. He, he's one of those other people that's pretty close to getting into that 100 sack range. He's 14 and a half sacks away with 85.5, 403 career tackles, but he's a four-time pro bowler and in 2017 made second team all pro. With his time with Minnesota, I really did think that he was one of the more underrated and underappreciated edge rushers in the league because he was consistently, you know, putting his name up there with 
uh, pressures and sacks, but he wasn't getting the the level of respect that guys like Von Miller were getting. I know there was that season where he had like 13 sacks where he finally was starting to get that credit when credit was due, but he's always up there when it comes to pressures on the quarterback, but just doesn't seem to get the same level of tier respect. So I think for who's left available, Everson Griffin is the best edge rusher, but I I wouldn't have been mad to get the other guys left, but Everson Griffin definitely gives me a nice, uh, and he also is not bad at setting the edge. He's definitely more of a pass rusher, but he is not a poor run stuffer as well. Here's another guy. I know you'll be sick of hearing this, but I just remember these drafts so vividly that Griffin was another guy that a lot of people were all over as a talent, but we've kind of seen it throughout his career, unfortunately, that there were some things with him that gave teams pause uh, off the field things. Uh, and I hope that he, he gets a, you know, his life is situated and he can live a happy life, but that was some of the problems. Uh, but he did make a second team, all pro pro bowler four out of five years between 2015 and 2019. It's a, it, I mean, he was also my second ranked edge. You, you took my top two edge rushers in order. So congrats on that. Doing something right. Thanks man. <laughs> You're welcome. Well, you took Roger Saffold, <laughs> my top-ranked guard ahead of me. So I want to make sure I at least get one uh, guy on this line that has some accolades, and he does. And I'm going to take Mike Yupati. Mm-hmm. He was a first-round pick, 17th overall. Loved hearing about him coming out of college because he was a guy that some people were like, can he play tackle? We're going to play him at guard. But the one thing we knew about him coming out of college is that he was a road grader. And that's exactly what he did in the pros. He was a big key to why that Colin Kaepernick, Frank Gore running game was so effective. And so much so that in a four-year stretch, he made first team all pro along with the Pro Bowl in 2012. 2013-14, he made the Pro Bowl. And then 2015, he made second team all pro and a Pro Bowl in Arizona before his career kind of got saddled with injuries and just became uh, not a bad player, just a lesser than his prime player. But to get a guy with those accolades and the the role he played on a histo- what is going to be historically swept under the rug, but those great early 2010s 49ers teams, I just big, big fan of Yapati and what he did. And after you took Saffold, I had to make sure I got the, the other great guard on the board. There is a very very scary drop after this pick at guard i believe i can't wait till you see my i can't wait till you see my offense oh dude i i i can trust me i can so but no with this next pick i i just think that with how good your team is i have to take the best players at each position away from you i think this is probably the worst position despite having some very recognizable names running backs were not a great position of this but I think there's one that is going to work with my offense a little bit better than most, and that's Ryan Matthews. I think he was definitely the best running back of this class. Did not want to take any of these running backs this early, but you know this, this draft is just kind of all over the place for me. But a Pro Bowler in 2011 had 5,261 rushing yards on top of 1,371 receiving yards. That's why I wanted to get him on my team. There was a season where he had 50 catches and just under 500 receiving yards, and he had a, a broke a score for 42 yards that season as well on a catch, but definitely the best pass catching back, as well as a guy that had two seasons over 1,000 rushing yards. And other than that, was kind of uh, a number two back and a third down back, just that pass catching back for uh, the rest of his career. But for what with I need to do with my offense, I got to get the ball out quick. I got to spread the ball out. And Ryan Matthews is really the only running back 
available I think I could do that with. So even though I don't want to take him right now, I think I have to. There's a player with, let's see, more receiving yards and more receiving touchdowns on the board. So there's one one thing. And uh, number two, uh, he was my third-ranked running back. So I appreciate mm. I appreciate your selection. I'll take I will take here Brian Balaga. I think he is the now. There are some other tackles that I could have taken that are fine. I think when you're talking about the top tackles in this class, Brian Balaga, of course, was injury riddled for a lot of his career. Uh, I remember, dude. You have to understand the Chiefs picked fifth. They picked Eric Berry, right? Mm-hmm. I remember like it was yesterday. The day of the draft, reports were that they were going to take Brian Balaga fifth overall. That's how talented Brian Balaga was in that draft. Like maybe first tackle off the board over Okung and Williams. That's the way he was viewed. He was viewed in that class, but obviously injuries are you know kind of snake bit him. There was there was a concern. You know how Iowa linemen can be, but he dropped it. Mm-hmm. I remember I didn't like him. As a draft prospect, until he was available at 23, and I was like, please pick Blaga, please pick Blaga, please pick Blaga. <laughs> and so for a guy that is a Super Bowl champion, a starter on that Super Bowl champion offensive line, he was a starting tackle for Aaron Rodgers' MVP GOAT season in 2011, his MVP season in 2014, his MVP season in 2019. I mean, just to get a tackle of this skill, I'm very happy to get this late. Uh, he never made a Pro Bowl uh, or anything, but I think that he was one of the better linemen in the league for a very long time. Started 122 of the 126 games he played in. The only time he didn't start was his rookie year before he filled in. So I, I know that he was injury riddled, but in terms of talent, I couldn't. I don't think I could have gotten a better pick here talent wise. So I'm I'm very happy with Brian Balaga. No, I don't disagree. There's there's really one other tackle that I think is absolutely deserving of being drafted. So now. Uh, I can I can wait on that. Luckily, or can no. offensive line <laughs> <laughs> or can I- No, I'm just kidding. Go ahead. <laughs> but I'm gonna beef up my defense a little bit more. I think I'm gonna get the best linebacker left. Uh, Sean Lee was first team All Pro in 2016, two time Pro Bowler in 2015 and 2016. And for a minute, I thought that like Leighton Vander Esch was gonna be the next Sean no, Lee. Like I thought same. that. Like Jalen Smith and Leighton Vander Esch, I really thought were going to be the just this next generation of the dominant Cowboys linebackers. We now know that's Micah Parsons, but Sean Lee for a while was just that like he's like almost a stereotypical like movie linebacker. You know what I mean? He he's just a dog. He uh seven hundred and forty seven tackles, not really much of a blitzer, but he was never somebody that you wanted to just run it down the gap at. Uh I definitely think that having Sean Lee and Navarro Bowman at my linebacking core is better than what you is available to create. So I at least can guarantee I'm better than you at one position. Two, actually, because I took Sam Bradford number one overall, like the uh, smartest person would do. But uh, like I said, Sean Lee is absolutely the best linebacker left. Uh, Had 30 pass deflections as well. Wasn't known for his pass coverage ability, but could do it at times. But I am very, very happy to land Sean Lee. That is true. You've really, you've really gotten a chokehold on me. I will say that. I will try to counteract. Let me see what I've got available. I think there's one guy that I want to get because he may have played a certain position. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he did. Yep. And I'm, I'm glad to get him here. Uh, I'm going to take Devin McCourty. 
mm-hmm. here's the thing with Devin McCourty. I'm not telling you where I'm putting him yet. Just just to have fun because his first three years he played cornerback, in which his rookie year he was second in defensive rookie of the year, by the way, which is crazy because he was – well, no, Dominic Sue existed. That makes sense. Uh, but he was second in defensive rookie of the year. He was a second-team all-pro player his rookie year. Seven interceptions at corner, 17 pass deflections, two forced fumbles. That's insane. But we all know him for being a safety in the prime of his career with New England. Second team All-Pro twice at the safety position. So I got a three-time second team All-Pro player this late in the draft that I can put at either corner or safety. And I'm pretty happy with that flexibility. So especially because he played free safety, which Earl Thomas did too. Mm. Do I move him to strong safety? Do I want to move him to cornerback? Have Joe Hayden on the other side? I'll let you know a little later, but let's just say I'm happy. <laughs> I'm happy getting this player and deciding later. No, absolutely. That's that's a fantastic pick right there. And I I saw that one coming from a mile away. I, I was debating on going that direction because of that versatility. Oh, you lost the debate. I, I, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, I sure did it. No, no, I'm saying. All right, let's but, see what you got right. next. Let's see what you got next. I think I'm going to finish out part of my offensive line. I'm going to get Alejandro Villanueva, even though that's a position that you don't need anymore. I just I need my team to look visually appealing to me at this point. <laughs> I, I cannot go down this pathetically. So I'm going to get a two-time Pro Bowler, uh, started his career with the Eagles, and which I actually I didn't know that. I did not know he started his career Mm-mm. with the Eagles and then went to uh, Pittsburgh from 2014 to 2020, and then in 2021. I believe, actually, when he was on the Eagles, they wanted him to play defensive end. And so he went, uh, then the Pittsburgh Steelers picked him up, and in that offseason, they said that he put on over, uh, or just under 100 pounds so he could transition to tackle. Yeah. So that's pretty cool to, like, to put on that much weight and to be to have the Pro Bowl career he did at offensive tackle just shows how great of an athlete he is, how much of a hard worker he is. He actually, it when he was in college, he played left tackle, defensive tackle, wide receiver, defensive end, tight end. So he what? was just a football. Is he is he Troy yeah. Anderson? What's going on here? That's what I'm saying. That I didn't. I learned all of this about him. So it gives me a new level of respect about the football player Alejandro Villanueva is. I am very, very happy to get the best offensive tackle left, even though you're not going to be able to get him. But it's a pretty name for me to add on to my board. So I'm happy about it. Well, let's but close out the offensive uh, tackle. Well, I guess there's one player that can be considered uh, a guard. So I'll, I'll try to keep this at the tackles that are available. And if I say it, I'm, I'm pretty confident in what I've got going anymore anyways. Uh, Marshall Newhouse was a starter at offensive tackle. I think for the Patriots, he really kind of gained momentum as a really good player. Uh, Jared Veldheer was a small school prospect in that draft that ended up being a very productive starter in the NFL, I think we would both say. Mm-hmm. One guy that had a lot of talent that was not picked because his career is so short, but I think may have been short-sighted by us. Well, he didn't have an accolade, so it's fair. But Anthony Davis, and no, not the Los Angeles Lakers center, former <laughs> Kentucky Wildcat, Lexington represent. He was the 11th overall pick out of Rutgers. He is viewed as a risk pick, that he had a lot of talent, but was very raw. He ended up only playing four seasons, but he started all 16 games during that elite run of the 49ers at right tackle and was very good 
during those times from 2010, obviously 11 is when it started into 2012, 13. He was their right tackle. Very good player. And then uh, undrafted guy, Jamarcus Webb was a guy that started for the bears for a while. might've gone to the giants or something after I'm not sure, but I remember him being a starter for the bears and being like, you know, guys, I mean, he's not like terrifying as a pass, but I thought he held up well. So that kind of puts a cap on the offensive tackle class. I am up next. I do think that I am going to stick in the secondary. And for me, it's just depending on who I would like to select at that spot. I think what I am going to do is try to put you in a further deficit. And I'll take Ultron taking Saw that coming from a mile away. Alteron Werner, he honestly, I remember him because it was uh, UCLA. Yep, I remember Alteron Werner liked him, uh, fourth round pick actually. But here's the thing about his career: if you say Alteron Werner his entire career, we'd probably have him a little lower on the board, right? But in 2013, he did have five interceptions and 22 pass deflections, which led the league en route to an AP second team All-Pro nod and a Pro Bowl. And at this point in the draft, even getting one you know, elite to borderline elite season is something to grab at this point. His career kind of ended flatly. Uh, you, know, you, could, you could debate whether or not his net worth of his career, like out of the great season, how good was he? But you can't deny that one season and what he did. You know, you, you said you wanted to put me into a hole, and you, you couldn't have put me into a bigger hole, dude. Like, I, I am – there's one corner that I, I would have been happy to have on my team, but not as my number one corner. And knowing you, I just feel like you're going to try to put me in an even bigger hole. Um, and because you don't have any more line uh, linebackers selected, I cannot let you get the nickel you want. I can't let you get another corner. Even though I do not want to take this player right now, I'm going to take Sam Shields. I think Sam Shields is probably the best corner available, undrafted. I was very, very much hoping you were not going to take Altron Werner because that was the only other... I mean, Sam Shields actually does have a, a 2014 Pro Bowl credited to their name, but... Yeah. The, Sam Shields, Green Bay you know, Packer legend, Super Bowl champion, yeah. baby. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, but... I mean, 19 interceptions with 70 career pass deflections is, is not shabby by any means. That's it's not bad at all. Uh, I think Sam Shields is probably, other than one other corner, like the most recognizable name on this list left. There was a very, very strong drop-off from Joe Hayden, despite Altron Werner's that, that one year you were just talking about. But Sam Shields, absolutely the Packers legend. So happy to be starting him at my number one corner. Wouldn't want anybody else rocking that position. Oh, man, this has been a great time. So with my next pick, I don't know exactly what look you're going to go offensively. I have an idea of how you're going to attack this look. So I'm just going to get the last – I'm just going to build the defense the way I want it to, and we'll figure out positional role from there. But I think Devin McCourty is actually actually going to move to corner to join Joe Hayden Alter on Werner so I can draft Rashad Jones. Mm, I – Dude, I love the Rashawn Jones respect. Thank you. He was a two-time Pro Bowler, but in his prime, Mm. I mean, there was a little bit of Dolphins AFC East Hive that thought that Rashad Jones was like a top guy. Georgia prospect, uh, later round pick, but you know them Georgia boys, they get it. 
So I figured that here to pair Earl Thomas, I'll put I'll let Earl Thomas be my high safety, Rashad Jones doing what he wants to do. I'll actually put Devin McCord at cornerback, and I know people are going to flip out, especially Patriots fans, but he played his first three seasons at corner, including a second-team All-Pro. So I can do that, put Werner in the, in the slot, and I have the three best corners in the class and the best safety. I am I am right. No, no offense to Sam Shields. If you want to put Sam Shields in the top three, <laughs> I am more than gracious in doing that as he was a Green Bay Packers legend. But because you've already loaded up on your edges and you've already got your linebackers and all that, I can take picks and wait. A lot of these positions let – I think all the positions except – maybe one or two, I can just wait. So I've, I'm very excited about about my defensive secondary. So when you pick Sam Bradford over all these guys, and I built like the Legion of Boom 2.0 back here, I hope that it was worth it. Oh, it's, it 110% was. I mean, dude, you're, it, this is Sam Bradford we're talking about. Sam Bradford's under center. Come if on, Sam now, Bradford it, worked out no, the way he was supposed to, People, this would be like still a competition. They right. thought he was like Peyton Manning-esque. <laughs> Yeah, oh man, but no, I I love the uh, the fact that you took Rashad Jones. I actually, well, I kind of hate it because I wanted to run him at my nickel. But there was absolutely a point in time where I was really, really, really getting into football, and Rashad Jones just got got my attention, and I was arguing brick walls, telling people this guy truly is one of the top you know like it's because his name wasn't big at the time but Rashad Jones really at one point in time was just one of the best safeties in football and it was only pro bowls that he acquired but I feel like for what he was doing on the field it it could have been like a second team all pro yeah his 2015 season he had five interceptions two return for touchdowns yeah I mean it Rashad Jones was a dog, so I, I love I that. I get pick. it because he played for Georgia. Nah, that's all right. <laughs> it's all right. All right. Well, I have I have completed my secondary. I'll run through the safeties real quick, and if you end up choosing okay. one, you can talk about them. But this safety class was unreal. Like your favorite team had a safety from this class on it at one point, specifically Brendan T.J. Ward. Was not picked. He may be. I don't know. We'll see. T.J. Ward, Morgan Burnett, me for the Packers, Darian Stewart, Nate Allen, Andrew Sandejo, Barry Church for Cowboys fans, and then one guy that got picked in the sixth round. He was a top three high school prospect and is now a brain surgeon. Myron Roll was in this draft. What? Myron Roll was in this draft. Myron Roll, famous for – leaving Florida State the year before he was draft eligible was viewed as a top five to ten safety prospect. That's with Eric Berry and Earl Thomas. He was in that. Mm. But he took an a road scholarship to Oxford to study neurosurgeon to be to be a neurosurgeon. Came got drafted in the sixth round by the Titans. I think he played for the Ravens for a second. Didn't really go anywhere except, you know, in the neuroscience field where he is a doctor. We're very proud of him for choosing that over football to save lives. Uh, but no joke, dude was a dude was an elite high school prospect and a very good player at Florida State. Dude, that is awesome. That that's that is really cool that, you know, you're so passionate and you have the ability to go pro in football, but you're so passionate about saving lives that you choose that. That's that's awesome. All right, you are yeah. let's see. I chose Jones. You were up next. All righty, all right. Where are my holes looking? Oh yeah, just about at every position. So <laughs> But you know, honestly, dude, you know what? I'm I'm gonna go based off of what I've seen in history. What I've seen, not what, you know, uh, careers, whatever. I'm going to pair somebody up 
with Demarius Thomas. And these two as a pair accounted for the third best receiving season for a duo in the history of football. In the history of football, they had the third most receiving yards for a pair ever. And I think they accounted for like almost, what, 20, I think it was 24 touchdowns. Angelo, you know where the heck I'm going with this. You know where I'm going. Give me my boy, Emmanuel Sanders. I don't care if it's a reach. I don't care if I'm going to lose this anymore. I got my boy, Emmanuel Sanders and Demarius Thomas. And if you guys have listened to the podcast before... You know how I feel about Emmanuel Sanders, but there was a like there was a point in time where there was not a better number two receiver in the NFL than Emmanuel Sanders. I truly full-heartedly believe that. And that season that I'm talking about, him and Demarius Thomas accounted for like three thousand and let me look it up real quick, because I'm right here with the receiving numbers. That season in reception, so they combined for three thousand 21 yards and 20 touchdowns, including 212 catches. Just between those two. That's so. And Wes Welker you know was the third receiver on that team, just so you know. Mm-hmm. Julius Thomas was on yep. there. But, yeah, that was that's who you're taking. Yeah, and also, Kentucky legend Jacob Tammy was on that team. 14 yeah. catches, 109 <laughs> yards, and two touchdowns. Let's go, baby. Go, Big Blue. Dude, that's a name I haven't heard in forever. Jake. That's our guy. That's Boyle County, Danville, Kentucky's own. Let's go. I love it. I love it. But you know what? It's it's reached the point where I want to make myself happy. I got to take some picks for the heart at this point because Angelo is uh, beating me into a pulp. I mean, like this is... This is like, Angelo, this might even be the Super Bowl of the Broncos versus the 49ers where they lost like 50-something to 10. Oh, yeah. This might be worse than the Super Bowl against the Seahawks. I don't know if there's anything so, quite worse than that, but I understand. Yeah, yeah, to to yeah, to be the best offense ever and to go out like that, pretty abysmal. But I'm gonna take He Man Ewell Sanders. He Man Ewell Sanders. Oh, Jahan Dotson comparison. That that was that was the yes. goal of the podcast. He could be like, I used to think he's so underrated. He could be like. Emmanuel Sanders, Emmanuel and Sanders. we just were like, oh my gosh, <laughs> dying, bro. I will never forget. I'll never that. live Top it five down podcast either. Podcast hey. moment. Uh, it's it's time that I start filling out my needs. I'll go ahead and take it a position where I have not taken yet. I'll go edge and I'll pick Carlos Dunlap. Carlos Dunlap. Honestly, I started covering the Bengals at the tail end of Carlos Dunlap's career. He he came out. He was another one. Very talented player, kind of a late first round idea. People thought that he had the talent to go pretty high, but he never really put it together at Florida, so he dropped to 54. The Bengals took him. He never became an elite pass rusher, though he did have two consecutive seasons of Pro Bowl nods, 13 and a half sacks in 2015. Didn't have a double-digit sack season out of that, but he did have a nine and a half, eight, nine, eight, eight. So he was a productive pass rusher, just not an elite one. But by the time I started covering the Bagels from 2017 to 2019, the guy was a really good run defender. I would argue in the top half of his position at run defending, in the terms of like the top 16 in the league. He was really effective at setting the edge and causing disruptions whenever the ball was ran his way. But uh, I know he got he got traded to to Seattle, or he got cut, and he went to Seattle. We'll see how long his career will uh, last there. He last year he started two games out of seventeen. Ooh, I didn't realize this had eight and a half sacks last year. Wow! With Seattle, with only two starts, so you know his career's still going strong. So I'm glad to get uh, Carlos Dunlap at, at at this spot of the draft. 
No, that's that's actually I did not realize he had almost double digits on. You said four starts. Two. Two. Oh wow, that's that's I mean, seventeen that's, games played, is, two starts, eight and a half sacks. As a rotational guy to get almost ten sacks, I that is a fantastic pick this late in the draft. Absolutely. You know it's it's crazy how many Bengals we've seen. Angelo, this was about the I mean, time they really started drafting well. Right, and then, like the the last draft and the draft before, we even talked about how mm-hmm. many Bengals there were. But it's it's un, it's pretty yep. impressive Sandejo how many was a hits they yep. have. Oh gosh, we don't have to talk about Sandejo. The guy still gives me nightmares for being the starting safety for the Browns. But <laughs> but all right, I want to. I think I want to beef up my defensive line a little bit. Uh, I think that I. I have one more by position. The, by the to way, I, I totally said Sandejo. He did not play for Cincinnati. I, I'm thinking of someone else, but the name is incorrect. Who am I thinking? I'll look for it. I'll look for it. So because I don't right, want right, to seem yeah. I don't want to seem like a fool. I, I don't want to seem like a fool. Might have gotten drafted by Minnesota and then to Cleveland, but I'm going to have two big boys in my interior. I'm I'm going to take Linval Joseph, and I'm going to rock with Indominusu and Linval Joseph at defensive tackles. Great pick it's, this late. It's going to be great pick this late. I appreciate that, and it's it's you know if you end up having to go with the quarterback, I think you might you might have to run the ball a little bit, despite there not being much running back, and despite all the running talent or receiving talent you have, you still have very very much a poor quarterback that you're going to be taking up. So if I can just get a somewhat solid defensive front, I'll be happy. And Linval Joseph is absolutely going to help with that Super Bowl champion and a two-time Pro Bowler. One of those players that is just doesn't necessarily get the praise, but has been very good for a very long time. 644 tackles, 25 sacks as a as a defensive as a as a nose tackle essentially is is pretty dang impressive. So to have two big big bodies like Linval Joseph and Adamna Kasu at my interior, I'll take that all day. And if this was the draft that we had against Adrian Peterson, I would have been hyped to have these two at the interior. But it's truly unfortunate that this is going to be a, a good receiving team for you. It is, and I since you're talking about it, I see that Ndamukong Sue and Linval Joseph are two of the toughest defensive tackles. I remember a guy that I played with in high school. His name's Larry Warford. We'll get to him in the 2013 redraft when we do that next summer or the summer after. We'll see. But uh, he said that Linval Joseph was the toughest player he ever went against because of how strong. He was just like, that was just a mountain of a man. I couldn't move him. And Larry is 6'4", 350 pounds. So... Oh, so a, that's a big yeah, boy. So that's just a big to give boy. you an yeah. idea. Yeah. So I need a running back that complements the attitude of the defensive line that you have. I'm going to take LeGarrette oh, Blunt. Yep. I'm surprised that you had Ryan Matthews over LeGarrette Blunt and CJ Spiller. That was surprising to me. I didn't. I, dude, I, I will admit, I am not a big CJ Spiller fan. Interesting. I don't know what it is. I okay. am. I am not a C.J. Spiller fan, but LeGarrette Blunt was definitely my number two on my board. LeGarrette Blunt was absolutely the pick here. I, I don't think that I really have any – with the with the blocking that I have up front, up front for him, uh, just to be blunt, he did not have <laughs> – okay, see what I did there? I was going to make that joke. Yeah, just, to, just to be blunt here, he had a great rookie year uh, with 1,000 yards, six touchdowns. I mean, we all remember him for knocking the crap out of that Boise State player, mm-hmm. suspended him for the year, went undrafted because of it. He was viewed as talented then. It took him a while. I mean, he was kind of journeyman. He went to New England, was pretty good until 2016, where he had 300 carries, 1161, 
18 rushing touchdowns. Mm. 18 mm. in 2016. I, I remember he was a fantasy football legend that year. Oof. So my man from Madison, Florida, East Mississippi Community College, give me one of them Southern boys at running back. 247 pounds with his speed. I need that against your defensive front, and I've got that against your defensive front. So now I've got I've got Antonio Brown, Des Bryant, Rob Gronkowski, Jimmy Cran, and, and LeGarrette Blunt. A couple guys with, with pasts, but, you know, but I'm all for it. My offense, I'm very, very, very happy with how strong and dynamic, and I don't even need them to catch passes because I've got four guys that can. <laughs> I just need someone that can tote the rock powerfully, and that's Blunt. Oh, absolutely! Legarrette Blunt was so fun to watch, dude. I, I didn't, I didn't realize that he had 18 touchdowns mm-hmm. that year. That's absurd. Remember it like but, it was yesterday. So, yep, that's awesome. But Legarrette Blunt, dude, I remember like back with those Buccaneers when they wore those like ugly brown pants. There, there was the, a highlight that I will never forget. I think it was against the Eagles, where Legarrette Blunt is just claiming a life on this like lives left and right on this like 50 yard run. The dude couldn't be taken down. There's like a little hurdle in there somewhere, but. LeGarrette Blunt was just, it was kind of like the, you know how we were talking about Steven Ridley type of running back? Like it's, it's in the sense kind of similar to that, how you just were so scared to go because he was such a big, massive running back and still was able to churn those mini refrigerator legs and have some speed. But for what you're running at your offense, I think that's a perfect compliment. But yeah, other than Blunt and Matthew, C.J. Spiller and Chris Ivory were two running backs, but very light running back class in this one. Oh, absolutely. Well, Angela, I think it's about time that I round out my offensive line, and we are looking slim, to say the least. I am very upset. Round out? I thought you had two more to go on offensive line. Oh, no, I do. I'm I'm trying to get it just finished and out of the way. because. So I'm going to go with, if I haven't messed up my board, I think Joe Howley is the best offensive guard available. There was a guy that uh, maybe had played uh, center and guard that you could have taken, but Joe Halley is, is started 54 games, played in 91. I mean, if I'm being completely honest, Angelo, there's nothing else I could say about the, the rest of the offensive linemen I'll be getting because they're just, they've been rotational guys, they've been sub guys, they've been guys that replace for injuries, and all had like under 60 career starts. So, 50, 54 career starts, I believe, is the best for any offensive guards we have left. So I'm, I'm happy to get the most experienced out of the group. Yeah, except the one that I'm about to take that you mentioned earlier, and that's Zane Beatles. Oh, my God. I did mention— Zane Beatles, 120 games started, 137 played in, and made a Pro Bowl in 2012 with Denver. I don't know why I had him on my tackle board. Yeah, he played guard. He, he played left tackle, guard yeah. his entire career up until— Maybe right tackle of San Francisco in 2017, maybe. But he was a left guard pro bowler in 2012. I, I am adding a pro bowler to Mike Iupati. And, uh, ooh, that was – I was leaving him just so you could take him and not feel too bad, but I'm not going to just <laughs> sit on the wayside on this one. So. No, you shouldn't. You shouldn't. You take advantage of my mistakes, Angelo. Please, like, I this, this is going to be a learning day for me. You literally me. mentioned and him I, earlier in the show. I that's, that's promise you – uh, I am never going down this hard. No, again. no, I hope not. That, the only two guards I had left on my board were two Johns. Uh, John Jerry for Miami. His brother, Perea Jerry, was drafted the year before in the first round. J- John actually ended up having the better career out of Mississippi. And then John Osamoah, who played for the Chiefs. All righty. Well, I think I'm going to now complete my offensive line just to get it out of the way. 
And this is a guy that played center and offensive guard. This was the other player I was talking about, not Zane Beatles. Don't know how I let Zane Beatles slip my head, but Ted Larson was somebody that played center and guard. So I'm going to be putting him at my center since there's no pouncy for me left. And like I said, these offensive linemen are very, very slim, but he was a Super Bowl champion and he did start 88 games out of 137 played. By far the most amount of starts for any center left. So once again, just getting the most experienced guy. Well, not once again, because the last time I didn't, but this time I'm getting the most experienced guy at the position. Yeah, the only guy I had left was J.D. Walton out of there and we've already so we've covered the offensive line we've all picked it we've i mentioned marshall newhouse earlier the offensive tackles i mentioned the guards and now jd walton so that is it for offensive linemen in this class so i am up next i have an edge to choose and i am going to choose brandon graham so i get brandon graham here the hero of the 20 17 Super Bowl, I think it was the year we could say that was, because the 2016 was Atlanta, New England, and then New England, Philadelphia. Uh, he was uh, He's a one-time Pro Bowler, made second-team All-Pro in 2016. Not a, not a tremendous sack artist in terms of per season, but he was a decent pass rusher, good run stuffer, multiple times double-digit tax tackles for loss uh, he had 22 quarterback hits the year he was second team all pro is in the high teens and a lot of these it, you know 17 16 14 in these uh, there was a guy that I had slightly ranked above my board uh, but I actually like Graham Moore so I'll go ahead and go through some of the remaining ends that were available Jerry Hughes uh, former Bill and Colt was was one of the players that I considered uh, of course troubled pass but a guy that was viewed as a top five potential pick, if not for his mind, and that's Greg Hardy was mm-hmm. in this draft. I remember I loved Greg Hardy coming out. I was mm-hmm. all over. He had the face paint. He was just like he was almost like an emo football player. It was kind of crazy. <laughs> uh, but uh, he had his past with domestic violence, and uh, why not Junior Gallette too? Junior Gallette. He also had his troubles, and it paid off apparently in a bad way. He signed a big contract in New Orleans. Got into domestic violence troubles, proceeded to sign with Washington, and tore both of his Achilles in back-to-back years. Mm. Mm. He played. He had a gap from 2014 to 2017. But before he had that, uh, uh, the domestic violence stuff. He he was an, a rising pass rusher in New Orleans, and then Lamar Houston, and for two years George Selvey, who was uh, at least on the college football video games as like a 99. He had the second most tackles for loss in college history, which I think Will Anderson, I think, surpassed recently. But mm-hmm. Selvey was a huge college prospect, dropped all the way to the seventh, and had two pretty productive years in Dallas, and that was his kind of claim to fame. So that's the edge class. And I didn't Alrighty. get to say, what? just real quick, the defensive tackle class earlier. Uh, mm-hmm. You had guys like Tyson Alualu, which by the time, Brendan, the shock of Tyson Alualu going 10th, he was viewed as like a second-round prospect, like, maybe mm. bottom of the first round. He went 10th to Jacksonville, and everybody was just <laughs> mind-blown. Um, Al Woods uh, out of LSU, Dan Wilson out of Tennessee. Dan Wilson actually played a lot longer than I remember. I, I loved him as a nose tackle prospect, but the best defensive tackle available. Still on the board. 132 starts, 152 games played from the University of Kentucky and from Louisville, High, from Louisville, Kentucky, at Central High School, 
Corey Peters, baby. Arizona Cardinals and Atlanta Falcons legend. We are talking about a true Kentuckian through and through. I could not be more proud of Corey Peters. Actually was overshadowed by Myron Pryor at the time on that line. That's for New England fans. Myron Pryor was the higher ranked guy coming out. But Corey Peters, he went in the third round. He has had a great career. He started 11 games last year. In Arizona, so that's my guy. Mm. And if I could have taken him, I would have. All righty. I think that it's about time that I start to round out the rest of my defense. I have that offensive line taken care of like you just mentioned. So I think there's really only one cornerback that has a recognized, like a, a Robert McClain is probably the best cornerback available if I didn't miss on it. Robert McClain is somebody that was a starter for that Carolina Panthers team that was super dominant, went 15-1, and started in that Super Bowl, but seven career interceptions, not, not, you know, not a very decorated player, 298 career tackles, uh, was out of the league after 2017, but when he was on Carolina, that, uh, that second time around, he, he came after his stunt with the Patriots. I really, really liked what he was for a season, but then uh, after that season, apparently training camps didn't go well and he was released, but this is definitely a big drop-off from even Sam Shields, in my opinion, but Robert McClain is the best cornerback available. Well, a guy. let's go from a guy, just to round out the corners, from a guy with 39 starts to 168 starts, Kareem Jackson... He was a he's safety. He played corner in Houston from 2010 to 2018 before moving to safety in Denver. We have Patrick Robinson from the New Orleans Saints. That was also a corner in this class. Tremaine Brock with the Niners, and then a guy that I actually had in studio to do one of my UK football shows. He didn't have a, a long NFL career, but Trevard Lindley, who is also, he's coaching here in Central Kentucky, uh, did a show with him. Very glad to know Trevard. He's an artist uh, as well now. But uh, yeah, a guy, a guy that is also a lucky, or, or a University of Kentucky tie. So those were the cornerbacks that were left available. With my next pick... It seems that I have everything situated. I need to get two linebackers, I think. So I'm going to select one of them is a guy that actually had a pretty good career up until he had his issues. Actually, both of my linebackers that I'm about to pick got suspended from the NFL because of substance abuse and never came back. Uh, One of them is Daryl Washington. And that's who I'm picking. He was second-team All-Pro in 2012, a Pro Bowler as well. He started 53 of 59 games. He had nine sacks the year as an inside linebacker, the year he made that All-Pro and Pro Bowl team. Uh, So Daryl Washington easily to sit and wait on as a talented guy that had to exit the league due to his substance. Daryl Washington was actually somebody that, like, when I was comparing him and Sean Lee, accolade-wise, it's honestly pretty similar careers. Sean Lee was just able to obviously stay in the league and not have those uh, those off-field issues. Yeah, his, the, his substance abuse, abuse issues, was but... not taking things to keep him from getting injured. Exactly, exactly. Dude wanted to play football, so. But, no, that's that's a fantastic pick this late to have a player that has made an all-pro. I, I don't... This linebacking class was very, very impressive, but... All right, so... You know what? For my linebacking core, I for, or for the rest of my defense, I, I need to get either another cornerback or get that nickel guy. And, I mean, with how bad this... I mean, yeah, there was Kareem Jackson that I totally missed out on, but if I have to worry about Jimmy Graham 
and Rob Gronkowski at the same time every single play, I don't want to have to drop down one of my safeties every single time. So you know what? Cam Chancellor is going to be playing down as that like hybrid nickel linebacker, and I'm going to take TJ Ward to play up mm. in the uh, to play safety with Eric Berry. So a little bit unique of a looking defense, but I kind of have to take advantage of Cam Chancellor's athleticism and get you know. No disrespect to the player Darian Stewart was, but TJ Ward was definitely just a little bit more accomplished. I mean, Darian Stewart, when he was with Denver, was kind of that tight end killer, but I don't need that. Cam Chancellor's my tight end killer, so I want a guy that can still be an enforcer, yet be another coverage guy, and TJ Ward gives me just that. And not to forget to mention, I mean, a former former Cleveland Brown and Denver Bronco, so I got love for my man TJ Ward. I actually love that pick for you, because TJ Ward and Cam Chancellor were the two hardest-hitting safeties during their time. And then to have Eric Berry with Bowman, I think the matchup with my tight end set to get Chancellor and Ward and Berry, you could not have done a better job. I, I was more cons- I was more concerned about your tight ends than anything else. So I, I'm glad that that was a position I was able to get under wraps. I think that's a good pick. I will I will go. This is my second last pick. I'll keep quarterback for last. Uh, I will take my birthday, bro, because I actually Ooh. have won this draft and also got kicked out of the league for substance abuse. Uh, Rolando McLean. Okay. I loved Rolando McLean coming out, bro. He was like the linebacker of linebackers when he came out. Now, he kind of came out of nowhere for Alabama. He wasn't necessarily like a year-after-year guy. But a July a baby just like me, the guy never made like a Pro Bowl or an All-Pro team. He did start 61 of 65 games uh, when he played, had a five-sack season in Oakland in 2011, uh, career had 99 tackles that same year, had a safety that year. It, it really was kind of those problems. He never became the guy I thought he would, but when he got drafted by the Raiders, I was like, yep, this guy is going to be the the, the greatest linebacker of my time. I was just <laughs> convinced. I loved Rolando McClain. But he ended up in Dallas and played pretty well until he was suspended from the league because of his substance abuse. And then by the time he came back, he was released by the Cowboys, and then he was suspended indefinitely again. So it's just more or less a story. That that whole time period, that late 2000s, from Russell to McLean to Washington, the whole rap culture down, like a lot of that with the codeine sipping, like all that Texas rap, you know, all that, mm. it really infiltrated into the athletes too. And you could see that during that time, Southern athletes, it, it really sucked that that happened because it took away a lot of great careers that were there, like for McLean, like Jamarcus Russell, guys like that. Alrighty, my friend. So I, you know, oh, by, by the way, just you, real quick, sorry, uh, Rolando McClain. Yes. Uh, the only other running of linebackers on here, Sean Weatherspoon, who looked like he was going to be really good out of Missouri and for Atlanta, but injuries ruined his career. Uh, Brandon Spikes for the Patriots had mm-hmm. had a little bit of a high. He was highly touted coming out of uh, LSU or Florida, excuse me, and Perry Riley out of LSU were three guys. A lot of SEC guys out of here, like Rolando McClain. Perry, I think. Uh, with Sean Weatherspoon, Missouri quite wasn't in the SEC yet. It was a little before, but still, we'll claim him retroactively. Why not? <laughs> so we got him, and then, of course, uh, yeah, so that's – and then you've got two Penn State linebackers, I think, Lee and Bowman. Yeah. All righty. Well, I like it. I'm uh, I'm glad you mentioned Brandon Spikes. That was a player that I always thought was a little underrated. I probably should have taken nope. him, but I was just I was just running – riding high on my Rolando McLean love. <laughs> I, I totally get you. I got you, but – well, Angela, with you taking Gronk and Jimmy Graham, there is a huge, huge hole at tight end. 
and there is zero chance I'm going to take somebody else that's left, so that leaves me with Jermaine Gresham. Jermaine Gresham is the only other person I would consider, despite there being a player that could have been good, but Jermaine Gresham, two-time Pro Bowler. I mean, he is no Jimmy Graham. Only 29 receiving touchdowns in the league, 377 receptions, 3,752 yards. So, was never, ever, ever like that dominant number one tight end. I mean, he the, in Cincinnati, he started uh, only 10 games his, his rookie year, was not ever actually the a starter for, only three times was like a starter for the entire season. And towards the back half of his career was just not a touchdown. He never I mean, started early an entire on. season. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so that that's honestly pretty surprising to me. But, but early on... But let's be fair. He he played in double digit games mm-hmm. his whole career. Every he year. never he never played less than thirteen games in any season. So let's not act like he's right. injury prone. And he was a two time Pro Bowler, right? In two thousand eleven, two thousand twelve, up until two thousand and fourteen. I mean, for these touchdowns for a tight end that's not even considered you know a true number one tight end. Four touchdowns, six touchdowns, five touchdowns, four and five. Those aren't shabby numbers by any means. I mean, it's no wide receiver slash tight end Jimmy Graham or Gronk numbers, but Jermaine Gresham, definitely the best tight end. Left. And I, it, you, I could have been I, Rob Gronkowski and Jimmy Graham. I, I would have. You could have told me ten years from now. You can see their careers. Do you, you want to choose which one? I would have been like, nope, Jermaine Gresham. That's how good I thought he was coming out of college. I thought he was going to be the next great tight end. I mean, his his he had 11 touchdowns his sophomore year, junior year at Oklahoma, 950 yards, 14 touchdowns. The guy was an, a monster at Oklahoma, and I really did think that Jermaine Gresham was going to be, I mean, like an all like maybe not like an all time great, but I thought he's going to be maybe the tight end of the of my era. Mm-hmm. Uh, so just to see him, I'm I'm glad at least he went off the board. Two Pro Bowls. I'm proud of him. Always liked him. So uh, the the tight ends left were Ed Dixon and Dennis Pitta, the Ravens, and Aaron Hernandez. Yep, that's the, yeah. And we'll move on. Uh, I will take. I have one more position to take. I believe. Uh, yes, is sir. You correct? do. Is that the quarterback yep. position? I, and uh, yep, it sure is. I want to be brave. I want to take. Do it. The guy that's do a it. gamer and a shot caller, and all he does is win. All 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 he does is win. Yeah. That's who I wanted to take, but I don't have the bravery to do it. Oh no! Okay. I wanted to. I, I, if this was I, posted I and circulated like the way it should be, maybe <laughs> just to get some clicks. But I want to just reaffirm my victory over you, so I have to take Colt McCoy. Ah, uh, I see. I, I, I had a feeling you were gonna do it, but I was just like. Tebow's just a winner, baby. He's a winner. He is, but, but I, I see where you're I've got to take from. Brownie Legend. Fourteen <laughs> touchdowns, eleven interceptions. When everybody in the world thought Colt McCoy was the future. By the way, Big Twelve rivalry: Colt McCoy versus Sam Bradford. Two guys that lost back-to-back national championship, BCS national championship games against SEC teams. How about that for a little bit mm-hmm. of history on this one? But Colt McCoy. Look, I thought he played really well in relief of Kyler Murray last year at 35 years old, which Colt McCoy being 35 years old, you might as well just put me in the grave now because I feel old <laughs> at this point. But uh, he he was just I, – I would have loved to pick Tebow. McCoy's the smarter choice. That's all there is. And no. I've got to take McCoy, and that will, in my opinion, seal my victory. I think at Tebow, there would just be too much Tebow hate for me to sweep this. But <laughs> you've got one more pick, and, and then oh, – by the way, the quarterbacks left Tim Tebow, Colt McCoy – 
Jimmy Clausen, who I, again, <laughs> you all have to understand, I definitely grew up in pie in the sky, like, this player's the greatest. This player, like, Nadamagan Sue, the greatest. Eric Berry, the greatest. At least they were. But, like, Jermaine Gresham's the future. I was like, Jimmy Clausen, number one player out of California. Hot shot QB going to Notre Dame. Mel Kuyper said if he's not the best quarterback in this class, he'll retire. Everybody was about the Jimmy Clausen love. And the Carolina Panthers love Jimmy Clausen because he got him Cam Newton. So there's that. And then uh, two other quarterbacks, Tony Pike out of Cincinnati, who's now uh, works for the UC, the Cincinnati station up by where I live. So I I wanted to holler at that. And then Zach Robinson out of Oklahoma State, who is a – future offensive coordinator slash head coach. He coaches with the Rams right now, but he is Mm -hmm. a piping hot name in the coaching circuit. So you'll see Zach Robinson very soon be a guy that may head your team. All right. Well, Angelo, to round out my draft, I am going to select one more wide receiver. And there was a couple of guys, but... Victor Cruz, you know, he may not have, I thought, I thought you he, were going to take another Denver guy and just go straight oh, Denver, Decker? straight, straight yep. Sam I, Bradford, dude, Peyton me. Manning, same thing. <laughs> trust me. I really, really wanted to go Eric Decker, but even like you can make an argument. I w- should have gone Golden Tate over Eric Decker. Of course. And I think Victor Cruz is better than either of those two. I mean, if it weren't for injuries, Victor Cruz was, I mean, in essence, he was just, I would never say he's like was going to be the level of OBJ, but for a while he was like the the person everybody loved for the for the Giants. You know, he was just that super fun, exciting receiver. He had the salsa dance. You know, he scored that ninety nine yard touchdown against the Seahawks when they were, um, you know, that Legion of Boom was kind of fo- starting to form together. Gosh, I truly, truly wish like injuries just didn't exist for guys like Victor Cruz. Victor Cruz really had something special. He was a pro bowler in 2010 and second team all pro as well as a Super Bowl champion. One of those players that couldn't stay healthy and it just really sucks because I remember watching right after he came back everybody was so excited for OBJ and Victor Cruz and it was very, very short into the season where he ended up going down again. I think it was not even halfway through the season, and we never really saw Victor Cruz play more after that. So Victor Cruz, one of the biggest what-if receivers, I think, of the 2010s, and I think absolutely the most talented far and away receiver left on the board other than you know i think golden tate wouldn't have been a bad pick by well to your point i mean 2011 82 for 1536 yards that's 18 no 19 yards per catch on 82 catches that's just Mm. unfathomable and then nine touchdowns second team all pro made the pro bowl next year no you're very justified in that selection yeah, and then uh, not to mention, I mean, was it also an underrated deep ball monster? Like mm-hmm. he wasn't a guy ninety-nine that you yard, were eighty yards, seventy yards, eighty yards, seventy yards, sixty. Mm-hmm. Like he was always a playmaker when he was healthy. So I'm, yeah. I'm happy. I really like my receiving core. Actually, it is a really good receiving core. I mean, Golden Tate, Eric Decker, Brandon LaFell, Dexter McCluster, Syracuse Mike Williams were in this draft. Uh, two guys that never did anything in the NFL, but for my for my old heads, Damian Williams and Aurelius Ben. They were two five-star, like, like when they came out, like, if you would have done a big board after their freshman year, these guys would have been one-two in some order, Damian Williams and Aurelius Ben. So I wanted to throw them out for them. And then another problematic, Riley Cooper. Mm. Anyways, moving on. So I also wanted to give shout-outs to the fullback position because they had James Devlin, who was a pro bowler for the Patriots. He could have gone. But also – 
Another University of Kentucky, Maven, baby, John Connor. Let's go. New York Jets, legend, <laughs> fullback, monster. What do they call him over in there? He was something, turtle, monster turtle, something like that. I'll look it up. John Connor, my one of my favorite Kentucky players of all time. He is literally the last ever, to me, he's the last ever He's called the Terminator, excuse me, even better. Uh, he he was the amazing. last guy ever to bring that, I am going to put my helmet into your chest and make you feel pain forever. That's the mm. last type of fullback that we've had like him. So John Connor, just wanted to give him a shout out. But that's it. That's it. We've shouted out all of the guys that were left on the board, and all we have left remaining is to announce our teams. So for Team Angelo, at quarterback I've got Colt McCoy, running back LeGarrette Blunt. Wide receivers Antonio Brown and Des Bryant. Tight ends Rob Gronkowski and Jimmy Graham. Offensive tackles Trent Williams and Brian Balaga. Guards Mike Upati and Zane Beatles. Center Marquise Pouncey. On defense, my defensive tackles Gerald McCoy and Geno Atkins. Edges Carlos Dunlap and Brandon Graham. Linebackers Daryl Washington and Rolando McClain. Cornerbacks Joe Hayden, Devin McCourty, and Alteron Werner in the slot and my safeties, Earl Thomas and Rashad Jones. Well, and Team Brendan at quarterback has Sam Bradford, running back Ryan Matthews. Wide receivers, I got Demarius Thomas, Emmanuel Sanders, and Victor Cruz. Tight end, I have Jermaine Gresham. Tackles, I have Russell Okung and Alejandro Villanueva. At guards, I have Roger Saffold, sorry. Uh, Guard and then other guard, Joe Howley. Center, Ted Larson. Edges, I have Jason Pierre-Paul and Everson Griffin at my interior defensive line at tackles. I got Indomna Kasu and Linval Joseph. Really like how that's looking. And my linebacking core, I have Navarro Bowman and Sean Lee. And then for my cornerback, I'm going to be running a nickel. So I'm going to have Cam Chancellor as that like nickel hybrid. And then my corners are going to be Sam Shields and Robert McClain, as well as my safeties being TJ Ward and Eric Berry. Congratulations, my friend. Thank you. I, I, think, we know, I think we know who pulled this one out. Thank you. I, I win by a slight – really, it was all the way up until the final countdown. It's like it's like in the NBA if you get to a Game 7 and you're super excited and it's a blowout <laughs> and everybody's just kind of disappointed. But no offense, I mean, it was just the way that the board fell, the way I decided to attack with just – I decided to attack lethally. The Earl Thomas slip-up hurt. But overall, I mean, you it was close. Like I said, I, I – you snuck out the Tyree Kill win. You won convincingly the 2011 one, which is one of my favorite drafts, so I always felt bad about that. So it's not like you don't have your victories, but this will train you for next year, and now that everybody knows yes, the it. format. But I do officially win the 2022 Summer of Redraft Challenge 3-2 to two over Brendan Bolin. Let's give, him, let's give my man a round of applause. Congratulations, Don't congratulate Angelo. me. Was... Be bitter. Be su- make me want to suffer. <laughs> Dang you, Angelo. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you're going to rue this day, brother. That's it. That's it. That's what I like to hear. All right. Well, Perfect. Uh, Brendan, close us out. Thank you. I got defensive tackles coming up uh, for next week. All righty, dude. I'm, I'm super excited. So send me over that list. I'm super excited to break them down with you. But, Angelo, uh, I wish I could say it was a pleasure getting my butt kicked. Once again, congratulations for becoming the champion on our redrafts. And thank you so much for tuning in to all of these redrafts. And make sure you're tuning in to Angelo's breakdown on these defensive tackles because it is a class for the ages. So thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of Blitzcast, and I'll catch you later.